Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development's bi-weekly speaker series podcast. This week, we are joined by Sean Baker, USAID Chief Nutritionist. I'm sitting down with him after his virtual appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School on February 26, 2021, where he discussed the impact of COVID-19 on nutrition and his organization's response. So just to kind of start us off with a very um, typical question, can you talk a little bit about what you presented to the Harvard Kennedy School today? Oh, yes, and thank you, Sama, for having me today. Um, so I started off just going back to the basics of why nutrition is so important. That over half of child deaths are attributable to undernutrition, meaning if we solve nutrition, those kids would be alive today. And for those kids who survive malnutrition, in fact, their physical and cognitive development has been undermined. And so we're not setting them up for very productive, healthy futures. Despite that burden and despite a number of incredibly robust solutions to address malnutrition, the world is still under-prioritizing nutrition and less than 1% of development assistance goes to nutrition. And that's even an improvement uh, since 2013. So big problem solutions, some progress, but not enough. And that sets the stage for 2020 and the pandemic and for to deliver on good nutrition, you have to have multiple systems delivering at once. And this pandemic, I think, to my mind, has been the biggest threat to nutrition that I certainly have experienced in the almost four decades I've been working in global nutrition. Because every system we rely on to deliver good nutrition has been disrupted everywhere at the same time. The health system, the food system, the livelihoods of people, and so their ability to access healthy food and to access health services. Um, the ability of social safety nets, which are so important during times like this, to flex, to carry on, uh, to, to support families. And then in humanitarian response, even our ability to deliver that humanitarian response where needed has been compromised because of the, the, the need to uh, avoid uh, transmission. So it's really been devastating. And that devastation has, we've tried to quantify that as a community. So there's a group of researchers uh, that came together in a consortium, the Standing Together for Nutrition Consortium that estimated between 2020 through 2022, we'll see dramatic increases in the number of children who suffer from wasting, which is the most severe form of malnutrition, which requires treatment we'll see a drop off of nutrition services. And that combination of increases in wasting, about 9.3 million additional children suffering from wasting and a drop off of nutrition services will translate into probably 168,000 additional child deaths. And then longer term, we're going to see a hit on maternal nutrition, which is happening now which is bad for mother's health. We think there'll be 2.1 additional moms who are anemic. And then that also have low body mass index who just are too thin. And we're going to have kids who are born of those mothers who are suffering anemia and low, low nutritional status. So we're actually going to create a whole cohort of children who even though they may be surviving wasting, they're going to go on to have suboptimal growth. And so all this progress we've been making in reducing stunting, we fear we're gonna reverse. 
and we may have an additional 2.6 million children suffering from stunting. So it's really quite devastating that we may be losing a decade of progress or more because of COVID-19. Thank you for talking a little bit about that and how important this issue is. Um, just to follow up, if food and nutrition is such a basic human need, why isn't it being prioritized? Um, I think sometimes it's the way that we present our evidence, right? Uh, so we now have very solid evidence of the magnitude of the problem. We have evidence of what works, but we still have not necessarily positioned this with the key decision makers to make sure they understand why everything we care about in sustainable development actually is underpinned by good nutrition. If we want to save children's lives, we need to invest in nutrition. If we, everybody wants to make sure kids are doing well in school, well, making sure kids have good nutrition and that thousand day window from conception through the second birthday, make sure those kids are going to be better prepared to go into school. We want to, we, everybody wants to pull people out of poverty. Well, we know that if we break the cycle of malnutrition, those kids have a much higher likelihood of academic success and then future economic success. So it really contributes to everything we do. And I think it's how we combine that, the problem statement, the solution statement, give a sense of hope. And that's also where I want to come because while I painted a grim picture, I've also been incredibly inspired by the tenacity and innovation of our partners on the ground, our, our partner governments of how even in light of this really devastating pandemic, they've been able to rapidly adjust programming. How do you modify the way you're delivering services? How do you integrate COVID messaging into services? How do you keep safe and nutritious food on the markets? How do you keep the health system functioning despite the, the challenges? And then how do you come together to, with one voice, estimate what the likelihood of the, of the impacts will be and what the importance is as we build back from this pandemic? How do we make sure we're building back in a way that really delivers on strong nutrition for moms and kids? Um, and you know we've seen some really exciting uh, actions from our partners of keeping services going, making sure that foods are fortified, so we're delivering essential vitamins and minerals. And that's where I come up next, because this is why this year, 2021, I often say is really a make or break year for nutrition, where we need to make sure with the UN Food Systems Summit and the Nutrition for Growth Year of Action, we are re-energizing the need to focus on nutritious food and delivering health services for those people who need them the most. Absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad to hear that it, uh, it's one of your main priorities for 2021. Um, going off of that a little bit, um, what, uh, you start to talk about you know what is gonna be important in taking action in 2021. So I wanted to ask you like what areas of research, uh, what areas still need more research in order to create the action that, that you would like to see in 2021? What is kind of lacking that still needs to be researched on? Um, that's, that's a good question. Um, and I think that I'll start off, we have a large body of knowledge of what works. 
And one of the big research gaps is what I call implementation research of understanding here we have solutions. How do we actually work with the systems to take those solutions to scale? So I think one of our biggest wins in terms of research priorities is going to be how do we actually deliver what we know? Another area of research is I would call on the measurement agenda because, um, and I go back, I, if you take inspiration from HIV AIDS, for example, one of the rallying calls was know your epidemic, know your response. Nutrition is multifaceted and our ability to measure nutrition, for example, status of deficiencies in vitamins and minerals, knowing if people are eating healthy diets, we're still using really out-of-date techniques. Unlike something with COVID, within the space of a few months, we had COVID tests. We still don't, we're not able to quickly know vitamin A status, iron status, zinc status, uh, et cetera. So I think there's an area of research of improving our measurement so that if we don't know the problem, it's hard to solve the problem. And then the remain areas of research that you know, we need to continue to understand how do we improve our projections? So like we did with COVID, so we're ready, for example, with the climate crisis. We know the climate crisis is also undermining every system that families rely on to provide good nutrition to our kids. So how do we do this modeling that we actually get an all up understanding of what the impacts of these crises are on, nutri on nutrition who's going to be affected the most. And so how do we concentrate our efforts on those people who are gonna be affected the most to really buffer those impacts? And then fourthly, there remains um, a lot of uh, uh, more understanding of how do we make nutritious foods affordable? Um, the, to, just to give you a sense of the magnitude of the problem, if you look at just the diets of infants and young kids in that six to 23 month period, where breast milk alone is no longer enough, you need to also have nutrient dense foods. If you look at across low and middle income countries, only 18% of infants and young kids, only 18%, right, 1-8% are getting a minimum acceptable diet. And of course, part of that is knowledge, behavior, social norms, but the cost of those nutritious foods is exorbitant. You go into Niger, if you compare the calories from eggs to the calories from staples, the calories of eggs are 23.3 times more expensive than the calories of the staples. So, you know, moms know that they need to feed their kids well, but they just can't afford those nutritious foods. So that, that research of how do we make these foods more readily available so that they can be accessed and particularly by the poorest households. Wow, especially that third point. Ups, wow, I, I really, I, I had no idea. Um, so that, that's very shocking to hear um, as someone living in the United States. When you talk about this research that should be you know, done, what is, what is your ideal way of the research having influence on policy making? That, that's an important question. And I think so much of it is how you position that research. Um, I was speaking in 
the lecture about the nutrition revolution that started in 2008 with the publication of the first Lancet series on maternal and child undernutrition, which brought together a synthesis of the burden, the evidence base of what works, a consensus that we need to focus on this thousand day window. So from conception through the child's second birthday, it also did this political economy analysis, which is actually a slap in the face to the nutrition community, which said the global nutrition system is broken. And I said that with transformational, but it was transformational because there was a concerted effort by the advocacy community to use that research, to boil it down to the essential facts and get it in the hands of decision makers. And if I compare that to what had happened back in the 90s, where in fact that same evidence of the magnitude of the burden of malnutrition was available, but had not actually been used in a way that was really focused on how do we translate this research into action. Another point I wanted to build on is, and particularly when I talk about some of this implementation research, is making sure that research is driven by programmatic needs that is being generated hand in hand in the countries that are going to use it. My own personal experience is that the best uptake of research is when it's co-created with our partners on the ground. And then that's directly that has the validity of being responsive to the needs of that country and you know, is generated by researchers from that country. And that makes the uptake of research much more powerful. I, I completely agree um, that I very much, um, I've started to kind of see in my studies the importance of uh, contextualizing um, the work that we uh, want to do. I, shifting gears a little bit, I, I wanted to ask you um, about your career um, more generally. Specifically, I wanted to ask, you know, you've worked in a variety of positions before um, coming to where you are now. Um, what important um, and consistent themes and patterns have you noticed in your line of work that you think deserve more attention? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and I've been working in nutrition most of my life, and I think there, there, there's some consistent patterns of addressing the nutrition agenda. And so that's very consistent with how I've addressed my career. Um, that, as I said, nutrition has been grossly neglected. And I think if you're trained as a nutritionist, your reflex is to attack it as a technical issue. But if you step back, in fact, the issues are much more fundamental. And I summarize the root causes of malnutrition in four words of, orphan, invisible, unmeasured, and voiceless. So we can bring all of our technical solutions, but if we don't address those root causes, we're not really gonna make progress. So orphan, because you, know, you go into a country, who owns nutrition? Is it part of the Ministry of Health? Is it part of the Ministry of Agriculture? Is it the food processing sector? Is it the Ministry of Social Protection? The fact of the matter is you need those different sectors to work together in a coherent way. And so getting that high level political priority and coordination to act on nutrition is critical. And when you've seen countries that have really moved, that has happened. Invisible because 
you know, when most people think of malnutrition, they think of that severely wasted child who needs treatment for acute malnutrition. And obviously that's important, but the bulk of malnutrition, in fact, is not visible. You visit a village in Niger where every child is stunted. Well, that's just the norm for families. That's the norm for decision makers. Or how do you tell if somebody's deficient in vitamin A or iron or zinc or folic acid? You can't see it. So because we're not necessarily measuring, it's not in your face, it's not crying out for action the way some other priorities are. And then that's exacerbated by the measurement issues I talked about that we don't are not necessarily quantifying diets. We're not quantifying the burden of micronutrient malnutrition. We're getting better, but we still need to be able to measure to make it visible and make it acted upon. And then most fundamentally, I go back to voiceless because those moms and kids, the most likely to suffer from malnutrition are the ones who are least likely to have a place at the table when it comes to decision-making at the family level, at the community level, at the governmental level. And so that leads to gross inequities and the most vulnerable populations not getting the attention they need. So that's why I think actions like what we're going through this year, the year of action for nutrition for growth are so incredibly important, but then also building up that civil society and country, making sure governments are understanding the burden of malnutrition. So you're really elevating the voice of the most marginalized populations, the populations who need nutrition the most. And I think that's been consistent where in my career that it's great to be very technically focused. At the same time, you need to step back and understand what are the root causes of the problem you're trying to solve for and how do you help address them while you're also advancing that technical agenda and using the best evidence to provide solution set, but knowing that often the constraints of delivering those solutions are much more fundamental. That's so powerful for you to comment on. And I'm really glad that you started to kind of talk about the role of society in that, uh, because I wanted to actually ask you about that. You know, um, what, uh, uh, please, like, uh, you, you've inspired me so much today that all I want to do is just take action now. So can you please tell me um, as a student um, or tell the listeners of this podcast, you know, just average citizens, like, what can we do to help this mission um, of uh, like, you know, of nutrition, uh, prioritizing nutrition, making it um, not just uh, a priority, but also how, how can we just help your efforts? Well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm hopeful you all are inspired. Uh, I, I started off my, uh, my lecture with your colleagues uh, stating that I, admitting that I'm obsessed about nutrition, but making the case, hopefully that's an evidence-based obsession. And then hoping that then you all would start sharing some of that obsession. Um, and I was reflecting a lot, you know, because it's, it's fine to lay out with the problem, but then you do wonder, well, okay, then I'm motivated, what do I do? Um, and I came up with four words, learn, amplify, volunteer, give. And then I have a fifth bucket, which I'll get into. But learn, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really great to have the number of people who are interested in global development issues. Even within that cohort, it's surprising how few people understand the foundational nature of nutrition. So I think the first thing, the more you can learn, you know, and I'm not asking everybody to become a nutritionist, it's just the basics of 
45% of under five mortality, underpin, undermining physical and cognitive development. It, you know, we need to invest, there are solutions, is incredibly powerful. The more, the more you understand the basics, the more powerful uh, your, your voices can be. And then secondly, to amplify, because again, if, if the listeners today who are very engaged in development issues are not that aware of the nutrition challenges, the broader public is certainly even more unaware. And so anything you can do to share that information, share that passion with a broader network is very powerful. Um, there are, you know, there are a lot of resources uh, to, to learn. Uh, for example, on the 8th, there'll be the third Lancet Nutrition Series. Uh, it's going to be an open uh, webinar, so you'd be welcome to join in. If you go to the USAID Feed the Future website, there's a lot of good resources. Thirdly, I think there's volunteering opportunities either here uh, because, you know, either domestically with food banks or there are many uh, organizations in the U.S. that do brilliant work uh, across the globe on fighting malnutrition. And linked to that is, you know, any personal giving is a huge contribution. Um, I worked for civil society organizations most of my life. And of course, you focus a lot of getting grant money from foundations, from governments, and that's incredibly important. But actual individual private donations are worth their weight in platinum because they allow you to do things and to keep things going in a way. So you might think, oh, well, what does $10 here mean? It actually is incredibly powerful. It also demonstrates the public's commitment to the cause. Uh, and then the fifth thing um, I wanted to share with this group, I think particularly is, you know, I'm not, well, well I do hope everybody shares the, the, the obsession, the evidence-based obsession with nutrition I have. I'm not saying everybody needs to become a nutritionist because you know, to actually deal with nutrition, as we talked about, you actually need a, a wide variety of skill sets. So even as you're, you're developing your career, if you're interested in nutrition, play with your strength. So you might re be really good about public sector financing. That seems removed from nutrition, but in fact, we need that expertise in nutrition of how do you use different pots of public sector money to go to nutrition. You might be very interested in governance issues. You might think, oh, well, that doesn't sound very nutritional. But as I said, in fact, setting up those governance structures in country is essential to delivering on good nutrition. You might be interested in how do you build robust civil society? Incredibly powerful voice for nutrition. So there are many different talents out there we need to bring into the nutrition family. So that would be, I guess, the fifth thing if you're thinking longer term of ways you can contribute. Thank you so much for um, just kind of opening up um, all of those different opportunities uh, for me and for all the listeners to this podcast. We definitely appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate all of the information. Um, and that's, um, it's all really important work. So thank you for what you do, first of all. Um, but of course, this is all the questions that I really had for today. But even with this, you can, um, to our listeners, you can find more information about Sean's work. Um, with uh, USAID at uh, www.usaid.gov. Um, thanks again to Sean for taking the time to talk with us today. You can learn more about the Center for International Development and CID's research and upcoming events at cid.harvard.edu. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back soon. <laughs>